Hello and welcome to Make It Work, the bi-weekly podcast where we uncover inspiring stories of modern working mamas in Asia who have redefined their career paths whilst putting family first. Hi, I'm Sarah Wong and today my guest is my good friend and former co-worker Neela Bhattacharya. Currently based in Bangalore, India with her husband and three-year-old, Neela works remotely as a product leader for Innovacer, a San Francisco-based health tech company where we actually first met. Prior to motherhood, Neela was an oil rig engineer in Brazil and a management consultant based in the US, traveling globally for work. She shares passionately about why she moved countries, changed her function and went into a new industry all at once after she became a mom. Come listen to how she extends her village to a workplace as well as some game-changing tips on making your work calendar more transparent. Come join us. Hey, hi Neela, so good to have you. I think it's interesting to note that you were one of the first few people that I talked about this idea with when I first came back and you gave me so much encouragement and here we are today, me interviewing you, so. I know, thank you so much. It is such a pleasure to be here and you know, exactly as you said, right? Like we have been talking about this idea before its inception but yeah, it's so awesome to see this come together and you've done such a fantastic job of, you know, of converting it from an idea that we were just chatting about on WhatsApp to this amazing podcast. So congratulations. Yeah, it's been a journey from when I first met you in the US and we were co-workers and now you're in India, I'm in Singapore. So, okay, without further ado, let's have you share your story, Nila, in two minutes or less. Absolutely. So I'm Nila. I work in product management today. I'm a senior director of product at Innovacer. Um, it's been really different and amazing experience. Before this, I was a management consultant at McKinsey, and that was mostly in the U.S. That's where I kind of went for my MBA, and then I, you know, got the McKinsey job from my campus recruitment. I did spend a year in Southeast Asia, though, while I was with McKinsey in the Indonesia office, which was great fun. And obviously that was all pre-kids, right? And uh, before that, I had a whole different career. I used to be a field engineer on oil rigs. That was in uh, South America, mostly Brazil and Colombia. So very different job from what I do today. And I think as my you know, life has changed, my, my career has also kind of kept on evolving to best suit you know, who I am at the moment, right? And, and what's important to me. Yeah. And so when I joined Innovacer, that actually coincided with the end of my math leads and a beginning of my journey into product management and my move to India. So those were kind of some big changes that happened all at the same time. I don't recommend it. I don't recommend changing your geography, your career, and coming back to work as a new mom all at the same time. But in some sense, it's good to get it over with. So yeah, that's when we made the move back to India. And this is where I live now in Bangalore with my husband and my now three-year-old son. I'm very excited to talk about all the highs and lows and all the changes and all the differences, you know, when I was a working woman without a child and now that I'm a working mom. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I remember you introducing yourself when we were both back in Innovacer as an Indian lady who had lived in Brazil before doing oil and gas or something like that, crazy, living on the rigs for a short period of time. And now you are a mom of a three-year-old and <laughs> in India. So yeah, tell us how did becoming a mom really change your perspective? For sure. And, you know, obviously as a mom, you understand that it's a whole shift, right? And most of the shift I feel is internal. And then we try our best to kind of make sure that the impact of the outside world is, you know, is, is lessened because unfortunately we don't actually live in a world that has a lot of understanding for the, the tectonic shifts that go inside, you know, 
a person when they become a parent, right? I think especially our working world is, I'm sure it's much better than it was like 30 years ago, but you know, there's today, I think it has evolved to where we want to be more cognizant. We want to be a little bit more present, but you know, at the end of the day, we still want the deadlines met. We want everything done exactly at the time that it should be. So the, the, the balance gets a bit hard, right? But no, let me tell you a little bit about like how kind of things changed for me and how I changed my approach, right? To kind of keep pace. So before I became a mom, I was a management consultant traveling like 45 weeks in a year, I think, from my house, Monday through Thursday, the, the usual drill, right? You know, I, I spent more time on a plane than I think in my own house. So that was my life. It was obviously very fast paced. And I didn't really have, you know, any sort of good reason not to work like crazy hours and at any given time, because, you know, it just, it was kind of in my head that Monday through Friday, I am like 100 at the disposal of my clients and, you know, sleep is not a priority. Exercise is not a priority. Like nothing is. I just, I need to focus and be really good at serving my clients. And one can argue perhaps like that level was not sustainable and not necessary, but that's at least how it was for me. And then you get rewarded for it, right? Like you get the promotion, you know, you get the accolades and you're like, yeah, this is it. This is. This is how one should work. And then I got pregnant and suddenly things already started to change a bit for me, right? I could no longer actually stay up very late because you know that first trimester exhaustion is, is crazy. And so I, I already had to kind of make changes. And the first thing that I did was I actually announced to my colleagues and my clients, like before I had even announced to my friends, because I was like, I need you guys help to support me through this really difficult first trimester. And if I keep this hidden, like you're just going to think I'm doing a bad job. Versus if I kind of bring you into my decision, you can actually support me. You can schedule calls differently. You know, you can, you can, you can help me change the way I work. And that I think was my first exercise in what I think will come to define, like how I've approached motherhood and works since, which is really create that village wherever you are, right? Like bring everyone into your life, into your journey, because without that, it's really, I don't, I wouldn't even say it's difficult. I just think it's impossible. And I started that journey, like right from, you know, when I found the heartbeat. So Interesting. Yeah. Can just talk a little bit on that initial reaction and was it difficult for you to talk about it with your clients and your coworkers first? You know, I think there is so much taboo in your mind, right? All these rules we have, like don't announce before 12 weeks, you know, like you're supposed to kind of keep it under wraps. And it definitely took a little bit of overcoming hesitation on my end to actually go ahead and make this announcement and tell everybody, including HR, I think. Like everybody knew, but once I actually shared the news, I actually found it was amazing. Like there was not one person that I knew that wasn't thrilled and delighted for me. And in fact, it was my client who at the time was in Singapore and my client insisted that I stop commuting every week, that I actually work from home, like one, like every alternate week. He sat me down and he was like, I have two kids. I cannot see you do this. Okay. This is, this is not acceptable. Who do I need to talk to? Like, which partner do I need to speak so that you don't have to travel? I still want you on this project. Like we're not going to want to replace you at all, but I really want a better life for you. So you, that just changed. you know. And imagine the client telling the partner, like, that's fine. I want her on the project, but I want her to be here only every alternate week. And that's fine with me. I think that just shows like a great deal of trust and relationship. All the partners that I worked with were so supportive. I even had, you know, this scare eight weeks into it where, you know, I, I thought I was having a miscarriage. And like, if I hadn't brought people into my life at the time and fully aware of the decisions, I don't think I could have soldiered on, you know, the way I Wow. That's really interesting that you basically broadened that definition of the village into, you know, your workplace and even your clients to support this new life transition, especially as a first time mom, right? It, it, it's something you just don't know what to expect. And that's a, yeah, it's a really a novel uh, and, and quite thought provoking, I think, angle to, to see this yeah, village 
extend it to, you know, across your professional lines. And it probably is, like you said, a lot of self-censorship on our part, but may not really exist. Exactly. And then when I had my child, that was, by the way, peak pandemic. So our worlds were getting appended in a very different way. And one of the, you know, as they say, right, it's an ill wind that blows no good. Obviously, the pandemic was devastating and like, you know, I wouldn't want that and I wouldn't wish that for anybody. But here is a few like positive changes that happened in my life. This concept of working from home or working away from a physical location and still being successful became mainstream, right? And that really, really helped me when I came back to work because, you know, I could go back to work at 13 weeks postpartum and I was in the US at the time, I could go back to work like with relative ease because I didn't have to actually leave my home. I didn't have to figure out, you know, how I would arrange for care while I was physically traveling and away from my child that was still in the nursing phase. Uh, I didn't have to figure out any of that. I had, of course, you know, enough support to like make sure that I was able to focus on my work, right? I had a nanny that came in in the morning and, you know, took him and we had a schedule set and everything. I also heavily invested at the time, even in a night nanny. So you know, and I'm sure some people listening to this will be like, wow, you know, that is both spoiled and also like good to be you. But honestly, like, it's just a matter of priorities, right? Like we didn't, I mean, we invested a lot of uh, money in getting help and setting up that structure because both of us had very demanding jobs and it was a priority and we knew it wasn't going to last forever. I wouldn't need a night nanny forever. I wouldn't need, you know, even a day nanny forever potentially, but at the time I did and it's okay. Like I didn't go out and buy a designer handbag, like I chose to spend that resource differently. So even right when I went back to work, this notion of having lots of people to help me, whether that's friends, community or help that, you know, that, that that's employed, this has been a key. But then, you know, when I went back to work, I of course went back as a consultant, like a full-time, you know, and I remember I took up a due diligence project, which is known to be like very demanding and it somehow worked, but it was, it was hard for me to, you know, to kind of imagine how would I carve out this career for myself in the same one that I'd been doing while also being present as a mother? And I just, you know, started thinking about like, are there other options, right? Are there careers that I can still be full-time, still bring everything that I care about, about my aspirations, my ambitions, you know, that'll help me fulfill all of those things and still not where I still wouldn't be beholden to like such a tight schedule, to such a tight, you know, always on mentality with my clients and so on, right? And that's when I made actually the shift to product management in tech. And it's a, it's been a journey, right? Because at the time, I mean, I had actually never thought of leaving McKinsey. I really thought I would stay there and become a partner and that would be my career. But then once I became a mom, and of course, this is not like a unique story. You, you hear this across the board. It gets a little bit hard to sustain the same pace that you have set yourself to be used to after you have a child, because now the cost of your time is very, very different, right? Um, I cannot just be available at any hours of the day and there are certain breaks I need to take because I need to be present for my family. So that really changed my thinking, you know, and I wanted to be in a profession where I could still do everything I want to in terms of the content of my work, having intellectual stimulation, but where I could control the hours a bit better, right? And so products seem to be actually a very sweet spot. Interesting. The, I wanted to quickly jump in to ask uh, a little bit about that process about Thinking about your options, right, at post-consulting, yeah. how did you filter and think through, you know, there were so many other jobs that you could do, but how do you land up in product and in, in tech and I guess healthcare, right? You know, that's, yeah, it's so serendipitous because I had actually not worked in healthcare before that. Although I had a background in tech, like I studied computer science in college and then I worked as an engineer for many years before my MBA. And even at McKinsey, I, I served a lot of you know clients who who had very kind of core technology as their as their business, right? So I was kind of involved in that in that world. 
but I hadn't really thought about making a transition until I became a mom. And one of the things that made this kind of stand out as a really great career option was the fact that it was one of those things that allowed me to do very intellectually stimulating work, right? And still be like very much part of like the, the tech world, but at the same time, not have as much kind of external dependency. Of course, I talk to customers. Of course, I spend a lot of time, you know, interacting with external stakeholders. Like, let's say if I want to get feedback on my product or I want to bet up the markets and things like that. I still have those external interactions, but in my day-to-day -day, though, most of the stakeholders that I would work with are still internal to the company. And therefore I felt that I could balance my time a little bit better, right? So the hours probably haven't changed that much, but if I need, you know, before 10 a.m. to be relatively meeting free, I can do that because that's when my son goes to preschool and I want to be around and, you know, kind of say, say bye and, and all of that. You know, four to six in the evening, I try to keep like a little bit meeting free because again, he comes back from uh, preschool and then, you know, we spend some time together. Then again, like eight to 9.30, I try to keep meeting free because I'm putting him to bed. So like there are chunks of my day that I'm not available. And this anarchy during periods that could be considered core working hours, right? In any, in any kind of external facing industry, this is big for me. This is really huge. And uh, this is what enables me to then bring my best. Now, look, there's trade-offs. I actually work very, very late into the night, the second shift, the famous second shift of months. So there's that trade-off, right? The other thing that made me think about product as a, as a great option is because my dream and my aspiration is to be a CXO, like when by the time I'm 50, like this is, this is a plan that I have, you know, and I chuckle at it sometimes and it's fine, but given if that's what I want to be, I kind of thought carefully about what are the tracks that lead there. Right. And traditionally sales and marketing have always been that pipeline into senior leadership. Right. But product and tech companies is the other route that, that enables you to create a career for yourself that you can actually be in the C-suite one day. The also my peers that are doing product management slash product strategy tend to have, have similar backgrounds to me, right? So then it seemed like this set of skill sets was actually a good fit. Yeah. So some of these considerations made me choose product because at the end of the day, here's what I didn't want. I didn't want to be in a support role, right? Because that's often a very natural, well, I hate to use the word downshift, but like, you know, I've seen this even in consulting, right? Like when you kind of come back and you're a new parent, there are lots of policies for you to take advantage of to slow down your career, right? You can, you can go internal. You can, you don't need to be client facing. You can do professional development. You can do other things, but see, that's what I didn't want, right? Because like, as I keep saying, I don't need my company's help to slow down my career. Like, that's fine. So, and listen, I mean, that's a choice that that may work very well for some people because the other thing also is that your career is a marathon. It's not a sprint, right? And so taking a few kind of other roles in the meantime, if you are very committed to that end goal of becoming a partner, I think it's a very, very solid strategy. But I wasn't so committed to that end goal anymore. And my end goal has always been like to be a CXO of a company. And that, with that in mind, this wasn't going to do me any favors. And I wanted something that would be full-time, that would be core business, that would be, you know, critical to the company's mission while still kind of giving me a little bit of balance of time. Yeah. This is really helpful. Thanks. Thanks, Nila. Yeah, just to understand your, your thought process, right? Where you were really clear of what you did not want. Or rather, let's start from your North Star that you want to be a CXO and, you know, what were the things that wouldn't help you get there, which was a kind of change of job in the same company and in consulting. And so you then looked out and see what were the different paths. And, and yeah, so that, you know, hearing that thought process has been extremely insightful. And yeah, it shows me how you, know, you really process oriented. At the same time, you were 
accepting of your current situation with your limited time and bandwidth, but and holding, I guess, an equal value your your dreams and ambitions for yourself. But like you said, acknowledging it is a marathon. Fifty years old sounds like so far off, but <laughs> you're right. It is a marathon. <laughs> yes, yes. And okay, I want to get into this move as well. This shift, this geographical shift, right? If you think product, you think sex, you think the US, you think Silicon Valley, which is where you were. So what what happened there? Why did you leave the hub to to be where you are today? Yeah, no, absolutely. And that is one of the biggest shifts that I made after I became a parent, right? And if you think about it, like just at a very like holistic level, a population level, perhaps, it's, it's, it's perhaps a very natural thing, right? To want to be closer to family once you are a mom yourself, right? But, you know, there were a couple of like deep reasons why, why we moved. And I can also be candid that I wasn't sold on the move at the time. You know, it, it wasn't like, it was so clear to me that this is exactly what I wanted. I was beset with doubt. It took me a year before I kind of settled in and understood that, yeah, this is, this is good. This is working. Everything in retrospect is so clear, but at the time you're just like a hot mess trying to sort of figure it out. It was a big uh, step for me to leave the U.S. because like, if I think about it objectively, right, like there is no market bigger than the U.S. Like this is a fact, right? And especially when you're in it. I think you're some, you really unconsciously start subscribing to that, you know, sort of an American exceptionalism mindset where you think mm -hmm. like, where, where else could I possibly be? It was almost like a, a given, right? When I came back, I started examining that a little bit more critically. But, you know, the, the thing is, though, that there is a theoretical max you can achieve in terms of your career living in the U.S. But then I began to see around me that practically that max is not always reachable because there are so many hurdles in your way, Right. Yeah, theoretically, it could be, you know, the CXO of a multinational, several billion dollar company, probably only in the US, right? Especially in the tech space, I mean. But before I get there, though, I still have to figure out, like, how do I take care of my little children or child in my case? But how do, how do I, you know, make time for dinner and still show up for the leadership review and still get my promotion and still coordinate daycare and all without help? So yeah, the theory and the practice, they see, just seem to be a really big gulf. The other thing that sort of, you know, since I made the decision that I wanted to be in India, and also India has a really great and burgeoning tech scene. So like it made sense from that point of view. There are a lot of companies like Innovaser with cross-border setups. And so why not try it out? But ever since I moved, right, and it's been now three years, like I can definitely comment on how it's been like a net positive for me in terms of being a mom who is as committed to being there for my family, as committed to my job and wanting to shine in my career. I think the biggest shift is like moving to a place where having a village is accepted and almost expected, right? Versus the very isolationist culture of the US. And this is something that I think, you know, most most mothers that, that I know, like my friends, they can attest to that because when you're living in the US, there's an expectation that you must do everything on your own, right? Like you really mustn't need a lot of help because if you do, like you're probably doing something badly. There is this notion that it is it is very noble to like do all your own work, right? And look, there's obviously like, you know, that has led to like an entrepreneurial mindset and of people like really kind of taking moonshots and, you know, having that sense of ownership around things they do and all of that, which is great. But I think that it's very detrimental to young parents, you know, because you cannot do it by yourself. You really cannot. Society is not set up in a way that you can succeed by doing it all on your own. But that messaging doesn't seem to change, right? Yeah. My American friends, they often seem a little bit embarrassed to admit that they have, you know, nannies and they have health, you know, and I, I sense that little like, uh, a feeling of like, this is not ideal, but like I have to. But in Asia, it's so different. It's like the expectation is that you have a village, right? There is zero expectation for a mom to do things on their own. It's like, yeah. why? 
you know, you have your community, you have your family. I'm sure you've experienced this too, Sarah. Yeah, so I'm so laughing David. because I, yeah, I felt the same way, right? Coming out from that five years that I had spent in the U.S. where there was this, yeah, it's a badge of honor to basically DIY everything. I mean, people do their own homes, right, all the time. So exactly. you know, your own lives, right, your own kids sort of try to make it work. And I, I did realize coming back to Singapore that I had sort of brought that mindset in where I was very resistant to the idea of hiring help even though it was something that was very common here and it was more of an internal shift that I had to tweak on my own to realize that I'm basically in a way missing out on what is so available and actually it's a luxury that I I should lean into because I'm over here just like how I, I was overseas I was leaning into all the benefits that the U.S. brought you know driving out whenever I wanted I should also take the, the maximum benefit of, of what Singapore and and structures to support family, young families has for me. And realizing that sort of cultural or maybe more internal bias was, it took some time, right? Because you've been in one place for so long and it has unconsciously seeped into your thought and things like that. So it for sure did need a bit of recalibration in coming back. But at the same time, I also read of news where the the shift is slowly happening, perhaps in the US, where I see more advocacy for, you know, stay-at-home moms with university degrees that it shouldn't be, you know, we look down or seen as something that you need to explain over, especially if you want to go back to work. So I'm hopeful. Yeah, I mean, I fully resonate with everything you were saying, Sarah. And honestly, if I were to kind of sum it up, I think the difference in cultures is that in Asia, it is expected that a child has many more stakeholders in their life. Like the parents are not, you know, 100%, right? And that notion is very different in the US, right? Like if you read a lot of the forums and everything, like the one message that keeps resonating is like, you know, you are the mom, like you, everything should be under your control. Like you get to make all the decisions and you set barriers with grandparents. I mean, not barriers, but boundaries, which shows my mindset, right? At Freudian slip. But yeah, you, you said boundaries with everybody. You get to decide. And yeah, that's one way of, of looking at things. But in the in Asia, the notion is like, no, child doesn't belong to the parents. I mean, yes, the parents are kind of the ultimate deciders for big things in life, but grandparents are equally, you know, are equally present. Like there is a lot of different stakeholders in the life of a child and it's not only the parents. But overall though, I think it's very liberating because we don't see it as outsourcing when we when we get help, right? We just see it as kind of increasing the number of carers for a child, which is a very natural way of things. And I guess the last thing I'll say on this is that I've also learned to like sort of let go of control so much. Like when my child is with his grandparents, my parents or my in-laws, I just, there's some basic rules, right? Like maybe don't give him sugar before he goes to bed. Like that's probably not going to end well. So those things have been very different and very liberating for me as a mom in Asia. Yeah. No, thank you for sharing that. You loved so I want to shift gears a little bit to hear about your spouse and how this decision, you know, what did he, what was the role that he played in this? How did he support this process? Because he yeah. has a really busy job too. Yeah, and that's he's right. He's like a that had to move from the U.S. to <laughs> Bangalore. Yeah, exactly. And I'll, I'll make sure my spouse doesn't see this recording because I'm going to say a lot of nice things. You know, the thing is, someone said this, and it's so funny. It's like in the 18th century, like choosing a husband was like the most important decision a woman made. And in the 21st century, that is still the most important decision a woman makes, right? Because, and of course, the, the, the other way too, right? But, you know, really having a spouse that I, I would say, you know, we hear a lot about spouses supporting you. And of course, right? Like that is a given. But I think that the key is not the support, but like have a spouse that is as invested in your success right? You know, sees kind of your success as his success. Like that's the, that's the thing, right? And yeah, my husband to him, like 
my professional success is so internal in terms of how much joy it gives him, right? Like we are a team and like we're, we're working together to make sure both of us are professionally successful. And he's like, you know, a cheerleader almost. And he like talked me up to his friends and stuff. And I'm like, oh my God, stop. <laughs> but I know, I think, I think that's wonderful, right? Like not just to have him support my career ambitions, but to want them as much as I want them. And look, he has a very busy career. Like he was in venture capital. The... The, the, the equilibrium that we have kind of settled into, right, is that, look, every day is not going to be 50-50. But does it average out over time? Yeah, that's what is important. And I read this other thing somewhere. I think it was a book that I was reading where it says, like, it doesn't matter who does what, as long as each gets enough rest. And I think that's kind of the key because, look, you can start to, you know, talk about, like, I do this and you do that. And do we never have those fights? Like, of course we do sometimes. But I think overall, right, are we both getting enough rest, right? Are we both getting time to kind of do things that we need to do in our own lives to take care of ourselves? And are we both equally present with our child and giving him that quality time and each other? Like, that's really the important thing, you know? I think having a lot of help, obviously, is a big game changer because then we don't have to fight about, you know, who does the laundry and, and who does. And that's great. And that's something I always advise if you have the means and if, if you're in a place that you can do that in, right? He's he's also a very like hands-on person in general, which is great because, you know, he's, he's always like, he likes to be very involved in every aspect of like child rearing and to sometimes an annoying degree, but, you know, that's his way. And one thing that I think has helped me a lot to have, because here's the other thing though, right? Like your spouse may be ready to do everything that you need to support you and to take things off your plate. I mean, I'm not saying it is only your plate. It's obviously your shared plate, but like, let's not ignore like centuries of conditioning that tells you that it is your plate alone, right? This whole house management and child management. Your spouse may be ready to take things off your plate, but are you ready though? And I, I do think that there's a lot of damaging stereotypes and tropes that make us really worried and not comfortable with like giving away control, right? And from the beginning, I vowed like I wouldn't be that person. And so like when my husband has his time with, with, with my son, and let's say I'm not there, like I'm on a late night call or whatever, and he's in charge of bedtime. He is in charge. I don't give any instructions. I don't meddle. I don't tell him what to do. And I don't complain whatever he does, right? Like, because this is like his domain. Let him do things his way, right? When it's my turn, I'll do things my way. We obviously agree to like some shared goals. But this whole thing of like not middling and not kind of hovering over where you are, you know, the parent associate and I'm the parent manager. Like, I just didn't want that <laughs> dynamic. That aspect of our relationship has definitely, you know, helped a lot for sure. Thank you, Neela. So much wisdom there. I think even with two kids, I'm still learning, you know, even with being able to be okay that he doesn't do it the way exactly that I want. Lifelong. It's, it's really hard. You know why? I, I figured out why it's so hard. It's not because like we want to be controlled freaks, but it's hard because the consequences of that job badly done is only going to be borne by one person. Like if someone comes to your house and it's a mess, no one's going to say like, oh, Sarah's husband didn't do a good job. It's like Sarah is obviously not able to keep up. You know, I realized that. And I actually, I explained that to my husband once. I was like, you know, if you do something and you do it badly, like no one cares. But if you do it badly, the reflection is on me that I'm not able to manage. And that's why wives tend to have a little bit more of a anxious reaction because we know we're the ones going to be judged, not our husband. Interesting. Well, okay. I do want to also hear, Mila, your thoughts on just looking back on all your shifts and changes and moves, anything that you wish you would have done differently at all? Well, I wish I'd always been, you know, as calm, collected and full of, <laughs> of like then, right? <laughs> As I appear to be right now, I've figured out always a plan. No, I was not always that person, right? And really, I think the one 
wish that I have and it, it continues. I mean, I, it's not like I've mastered it in any way. I, I wish I would have done this differently in the past and I hope I will do it differently in the future. It's to kind of always remember that I'm running a marathon. Um, I say it a lot, but it doesn't feel like that. I went to my five-year MBA reunion and I remember like day one coming back and telling my husband like, wow, my peers are now like associate partners in consulting. They are leading teams of like a hundred people. They are, you know, head of product. And I just feel like I made so many shifts that I haven't scaled the ladder like anywhere to the level that I would have been if I stuck to one thing. Really feel like a little bit of a failure, right? And, you know, and my husband was like, what are you talking about? Like everyone's journey is different. You have built something zero to one and that's like amazing experience. Like it'll come, your time will come, you know? You couldn't have said it better. And another thing for you, which has been helpful for me, that don't think of it as a ladder. We have been conditioned to see it as sort of one step after the next, higher is better. But what happens if you take another side step? Like, what, does that mean that you fall into the air and you crash to earth? No, right? You just create a new path. And so every time you see that way, remember, you're not climbing a ladder. You are dancing to your own. Team. Exactly. And you know, Sarah, one, one last thing I thought I have on this topic is that the concept of a ladder is becoming, I think, I think, less and less relevant in the world that we are living in and in the world that's coming in the future. I'll give you an example. Product management as a job function didn't exist. Well, I'm sure it existed in Silicon Valley, but it wasn't like yeah. a mainstream, you know, aspirational job like 15 years ago. When I was at school, right, I remember like, you know, I was debating consulting or product because it was like the hot new thing. And you know, I would have had an opportunity to kind of go into product at that time. But even then it wasn't as like mainstream and sought after as like maybe now. Right. And so you see how things are changing. New jobs are getting defined. New careers are so having jobs that don't even exist today. Right. So, right. And so, like, what ladder are we talking about? Yes. You know, it's going to be like, it's just going to be at some point you'll be like, oh, it is nothing else. Right. Nothing. It's not a letter anymore. What's this doing? It's like, it's like when you play, like, you know, uh, a video game and like the next level is just a whole different yeah. world. Right. You can like a cactus to, to like a snow covered something. I mean, like, that's what's happening. And so, yeah. really, the most important thing is to just keep like, Building your skills, like building, you know, your experience and obviously at all, always at any given point of time, like understanding what is your value proposition, you know, because I decided constant availability was not going to be my value proposition. Right. And so like, what is? So maybe it's expertise. I don't know, but it's not constant availability. I love it. I love it. Okay. I have a couple last few questions. So I want to know how your working perspective works. This is how you parent today. Yeah, it absolutely does. I've just become so intentional about the time that I spend with my son and so intentional about like what I want to do with him every day because like it's this notion of the cost of time, right? Like I also don't take up a lot of like non-value adding stuff at work. I wrap up my work very early and I try to like do things efficiently and fast because I want that time for my son. You won't like see me raising my hand for like after work drinks, not as much as I would perhaps in the past. But similarly, when I parent, it's so funny. I sometimes think about these frameworks, like jobs to be done, things like that. Uh, I'll give you an example. You know, this whole notion of like, I'm outsourcing, you know, some of my child. Mm -hmm. And I think to myself, am I really outsourcing or am I really kind of focusing on the value adding part? Because like, what is the job that like a mom is doing for my son? Like I'm there as a trusted kind of confidant, as somebody who's educating him, showing him the like, you know, the ways of how to live and how to behave in the world. Somebody who's sharing his joys, cultivating his curiosity. Like those are the goals that I have, right? Like those are my OKRs that he's a happy child who's curious, who's learning, who's, you know, well-adjusted and changing his diapers have nothing to do with, you know? Mm -hmm. And so that's fine then if somebody else can change his diaper and take that off my plate and I can do it. But I don't think that that's adding value to like the goals and OKRs that I have, you know, or just like 
running behind him and planning his like every meal. This is, it may be controversial. There are parents for whom it matters a lot. For me, it just matters like he's healthy. We all eat like a balanced regular meal, right? And that's it. Yeah. But the things that I do, do, right? Read a story, like engage with him, listen to him, him, telling me all about his day. I feel like it's brought that structure to even my parenting. Yeah. So fascinating that you brought OPR into this parenting situation here. Um, I can see how you're very focused and yeah, it helps with basically weeding out your priorities. All right. So Nila, what is one thing you want listeners to take away from your story here? Village. Village and health. Like that is the one thing. If you take away the one thing, it is that. Okay. And honestly, like I cannot stress on that enough. Like be in a culture and an environment that doesn't that doesn't punish seeking help, right? But rewards it is expecting it to the extent possible. I have enough American friends who think the same way as I do. And if, you know, and if I were living there, I'm sure I would gather them around me and like, you know, create a kind of a new, new, new way for us to be. It just cannot be emphasized enough. And the more you practice that, like bringing in people into your journey, into your life, I think, I think the more relaxed you will be as a parent because not everything is on you. And like I said, I started from when I heard a heartbeat. I brought all my colleagues into it and the result was wonderful. I was able to manage my pregnancy, my first trimester fatigue while managing a very, very difficult project because all the partners, the APs, the client, my associates, everybody like pitched in, right? They were like, Nila, we're going to do this. So like you can rest at this time, you know, and it just helped me so much. And even at work, right? Like I have these blocks on my calendar, like very transparent. I say, this is my son's bedtime or I'm dropping him to school now. I am doing this now. It is his PTM. Is this level of oversharing necessary? Some people just say personal. If it works for them, great. For me, I want to let everybody know, like this is me. This is me. I exist outside of my work and this is my life. So you can have empathy and you can know where I'm coming when I say something, right? And then of course at home, bringing your family into it, friends. I have close friends and neighbors like they, if, if my son is with them, I don't even text to ask, what is he doing? I know they're going to take care of them. And so that, and of course, you know, and even hired help, right? Like everybody. So yeah, just that expand your village, let everybody share in the joy of being a parent, right? And uh, make it easy for people to help you. So good. Well, thank you so much, Nila. This has been a really fun, insightful, very practical as well, actually, a conversation. So really enjoyed it. And I hope to see you again soon. Yes, me too. We'll, we'll see each other soon. I Thank you for listening to Make It Work, where we uncover inspiring stories of modern working mamas in Asia who have redefined their careers whilst putting family first. Please help others discover the show by leaving a review and rating on wherever you get your podcasts. And see you at the next episode of Make It Work.